Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Buddhang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami uh, Considering the um, teaching on dependent origination, um, it, uh, it's good to reflect uh, where this came from or how the, the Buddha originated this teaching and uh, it really begins right at the time of the of the Buddha's enlightenment and um, it's said that uh, uh, during the the weeks after the the, uh, the Buddha had uh, awakened under the Bodhi tree in Bodhgaya uh, during that uh, that time and uh, he was reflecting on his experience reflecting on uh, the the change of vision that had occurred within him uh, and the experience of liberation it's described how he uh, sat under the Bodhi tree um, first of all for a week seven days without moving and just uh, uh, contemplating reflecting upon the uh, um, this pattern of experience dependent origination in the the sequence, uh, as we um, chanted it this evening, Avijja Pacheya Sankara. And then the second week, uh, I guess he changed his posture after a week. Yeah. And then, um, uh, I believe, moved to a different tree and then spent the next week reflecting on the same process, but in the, the second part, uh, according to the uh, uh, the uh, Niroda, the, the fading, the cessation. Uh, uh, part of the cycle called the um, um, you know, the uh, um, uh, anuloma, and so that, that's the avijaya toeva asesavira ganirodho. The the third week he spent contemplating it both in forward and in reverse order. So he'd moved to a different tree then. And, sat down, closed his eyes, and then spent a week without moving, reflecting on this. And it seems that uh, even though some elements of this pattern, uh, you, you can find resonances of these in the, the ancient uh, Vedas, uh, it seems very much that this particular this pattern, and as it's described and passed on, was, was uh, discovered and expanded upon by the, by the Buddha. It doesn't really exist um, in this form in, uh, in times prior to the, the Buddha's enlightenment. And the, uh, one, one of the uh, ways of, uh, of understanding it or relating to it is that it's uh, describing the fine detail of how you get from the second noble truth, the cause of dukkha, to dukkha, the experience of suffering. So uh, it's um, very much like a, a part of that um, that same pattern. Now, in the the Four Noble Truths is a much more familiar uh, the expression of the Buddha's teachings, and it's uh, taken to be very sort of characteristic of the uh, uh, what the Buddha was imparting to the world. Sort of essential and unique teaching, the Four Noble Truths. But again, it's it's interesting, useful to consider uh, how he formulated that. And how that came into being, and uh, as the, the story goes, after the Buddha's enlightenment, he was journeying from uh, Bodhgaya to Varanasi to the the deer park in order to um, to meet up with his five former companions, the five ascetics that he'd lived and practiced with for uh, for a number of years, in order to um, convey to them the understanding that had had arisen within him to share his knowledge, to share his understanding. 
Uh, and along the way, um, he encountered uh, another wanderer, an ascetic called Upaka. And uh, as uh, uh, Lumpur Sumedho is very fond of saying, you know, people say that the the, um, the Dhammachaka Sutta, the turning of the wheel of Dhamma, where the Buddha describes the middle way and the Four Noble Truths, that's known as being the first Dhamma teaching that the Buddha gave, but actually it wasn't. That it was really his exchange with Upaka was really the first teaching. And uh, as the story goes, uh, the Buddha was walking along this um, this uh, country road and uh, Upaka saw him coming from the distance and was amazed, was really struck by the the, uh, the, the demeanor, the presence uh, that, uh, that the Buddha had as a, a fellow wanderer. He was uh, probably dressed in, in rag robes and the Buddha was very tall, he was extremely good looking and he was obviously very radiant and uh, had a, a, a kind of quality of serenity and peace around him so when upaka met him he said yeah, who are you friend yeah, yeah your face is 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 really bright and your your manner is extremely serene and uh, and awesome you know surely you must have had some kind of great experience some sort of spiritual awakening yeah who, who's your teacher what kind of practice have you done what is it uh, that you have realized and then the buddha responded by saying yeah, i have no teacher yeah and uh, no one has taught me, but uh, I have arrived at full and complete enlightenment you know, all on my own through my own, through my own efforts. And in fact, I'm the only enlightened being in the whole world. And uh, as again, Lumpur would would point out, uh, this is when you meet people on the street and they talk to you like this. You think, yeah, right. Uh, you know, the kind of slightly glazed eyes and uh, this kind of. Um, the kind of the glassy-eyed prophets that one encounters on Hyde Park Corner or you know, on the street, and so in exactly that way, Upaka said, "Well, f from what you're saying, it sounds like you're claiming to have to have realized ultimate reality, to have uh, realized the deathless." And the Buddha said, "Yes, that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have indeed realized the, the, the deathless, and I'm the only being who has." has has done so. I'm the only enlightened being in the world, and now I'm on my way to to Varanasi to beat the drum of deathlessness. And so then Upaka, as one could understand, said, "Well, good for you, friend." And uh, then, as it says in the text, uh, shaking his head, um, he uh, left by a different path, kind of, and uh, left the Buddha to it. And so, uh, again, as Longpole Sumedho is fond of saying, uh, the Buddha was a very quick learner. And he realized that this kind of declaration, you know, I am the ultimate reality, um, uh, that did not have a very positive effect. It might have been true that the, the, the Buddha had indeed uh, awakened to the truth and, and uh, was fully liberated, fully enlightened, but simply declaring that, that, you know, yes, there is the ultimate reality and yes, it has been realized, just declaring that doesn't actually help anyone because also they can choose not to believe it or they, they can take it uh, to be an overestimation and uh, so then between the time that the, the Buddha met Upaka and the, he arrived in the, the deer park outside of Varanasi then he changed his tactics and so rather than uh, trying the uh, declarative <laughs> the kind of proclamation approach um, when he met his five companions, uh, then he used an analytical approach. And so uh, this is how we have the Four Noble Truths. And the, the, the Four Noble Truths is said to be cast in the form of a, of a classical Indian uh, medical diagnosis. That uh, This is apparently uh, uh, the way that if you, were, if you went to see a doctor uh, in India in those days, the, the, the doctor's assessment of your condition will be divided into four parts. So there'll be the first one is the, the nature of the symptom, and then the second one would be uh, establishing the cause of the illness. The, th the third part would be the prognosis, is it curable? And then the fourth then is the treatment. And it's said that the, the, uh, the Buddha used that same form to, uh, to create his teaching of the, the Four Noble Truths, that dukkha is the symptom, this experience of dissatisfaction, discontent, uh, insecurity, alienation, however one wants to, to phrase it. Uh, 
dukkha is the symptoms, uh, and then identifying tanha, craving, self-centered craving as the cause. And then the prognosis, good news, yes, it's curable. Yeah, dukkha niroda, the ending of dukkha is possible. That the heart can be completely free from that quality of, of stress or discontent, um, dissatisfaction. And then the treatment, the, the cure, is the Eightfold Path, the Noble Eightfold Path. And uh, when, uh, when we look at this, um, it, in a way, the way I, uh, I like to reflect on this, uh, the Buddha is asking a, a question, really. He's, uh, in a sense, he's still referring to ultimate reality. But he, what he's doing is he's saying, if there is an ultimate, if we take it f that there is an ultimate reality, that there is a, a fundamental reality of all things, which is intrinsically perfect and, and pure and all-encompassing, why are we not happy all of the time? If if there is a um, the unborn, unoriginated, uncreated, if there is the deathless, if if the fundamental nature of, of our being and the, and the, the reality of all things is this uh, is the the, the deathless um, and uh, and perfect dhamma that that reality, how come we're not happy? <laughs> How come that sometimes we are uh, we are uh, insecure, we are distressed, we are lonely, we are unhappy? We are. Uh, how does that work? You know, if there is, if there is that that truth, if that's the case, and speaking with a group of ascetics, that would you know, that would be, in a sense, a, a, an assumed uh, reality or an assumed basis. Uh, this is the question he's exploring or, or picking up, saying, isn't it strange? How is it that we're not happy all of the time? And where, why is that? Where does that come from? And so uh, in, the, uh, uh, in this teaching of the Four Noble Truths, rather than starting with, with saying, um, a kind of declaring, making any kind of grand statements about the, um, uh, that ultimate truth, Instead, he starts at the other end and says, well, the fact is we do suffer, right? <laughs> the fact is that, that uh, we do experience that, that there is that, that dissatisfaction, that discontent. It does arise. So we do experience that. Now, where does that come from? So in his explanation of the Four, of the four Noble Truths, then he defines uh, the cause, the origin, the Dukkha Samudaya, um, as being craving, tanha. Uh, literally, that means thirst in Sanskrit. Trishna in Pali, tanha. Uh, so, those of us who had had uh, do have or have had drinking al alcohol issues, it's kind of interesting that the uh, thirst is the characterization of tanha. That's the, the kind of the embodiment of craving. Is you know, I need a drink. <laughs> so, why the Buddha chose that word tanha for that particular quality? Yeah, who can who can say? But it's uh, I feel it's uh, uh, very uh, very appropriate and, and significant in its own way. And it's all, all uh, when we think about craving or we think about desire, um, then often we we think in terms of of sent, the desire for sense pleasure. So like the the random examples I've been using have been mostly kind of uh, sort of food and drink kind of desires. Um, like you know, ice cream and such like. So this is called uh, uh, karma tanha, karma k a m a, meaning sense pleasure. Karma tanha, the craving for sense pleasure. So when we think of desire or craving, then it's usually that kind of thing that we're, we're thinking of. You know, wanting to drink, wanting to smoke, wanting to eat something. Whether you're you know, you're addicted to chocolate or whether you're addicted to. Um, uh, to alcohol or to tobacco or um, these kind of physical dependencies and that uh, and things that we consume that give a um, a charge of pleasant feeling and and that's the most obvious and, and sort of clearly discernible kind of of craving. But when the Buddha defines craving, defines tanha, along with that, the, the craving for sense pleasure, also sexual desire, or the desire for um, for wealth, the desire for power, you know, those will, will come under the same kind of karma tanha, 
then there are two other kinds of, of craving that are mentioned at the same time, which is bhava-tanha and vibhava-tanha. Bhava um, means uh, becoming or existence. So bhava-tanha is a desire to be. And uh, bhava-tanha and vibhava-tanha, they are uh, much more subtle, uh, almost uh, invisible a lot of the time. So this would be the craving to... Um, to uh, to have a sense of of defined being, wanting to be something, uh, having just the sense of getting somewhere or uh, achieving something, uh, the um, the pull towards uh, uh, any kind of um, of object or the, the thrill of being uh, uh, somebody, some person, uh, doing something. And so oftentimes, say, in meditation, when um, we are, are feeling that we're, we're following all the instructions, we're concentrating our minds, we're following the breath, or we are um, trying to develop uh, a quality of, uh, say, uh, of um, peacefulness or purity of mind, uh, we can think, well, we're following all the instructions, we're doing all these wholesome things, you know, I'm I'm developing my practice. You know, I'm getting rid of my unwholesome thoughts. I'm I'm getting concentrated. I'm developing jhana, and we can be, um, say, feeling like we're doing all the right things. Or and then uh, vibhavatana means the desire to get rid of, or the desire to 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 not have. So that would be like the desire to get rid of our unruly thoughts, or to get rid of our unskillful. Um, desires and, and fears and so forth and so we can feel like we're following all the instructions yeah this sounds like <laughs> all the things i'm supposed to be doing yeah to, to be getting concentrated to be developing insight to be getting uh, getting jhana or getting rid of defilements and so we can feel like well we're we're following the rule book we're, we're obeying the instructions and then we're not realizing that at the time we're actually uh, tying ourselves to bhavatana and vibhavatana, that uh, the desire to get enlightened, to get concentrated, to get jhana, to 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 become a, a good meditator, to get rid of my problems, to get rid of my chattering mind, and to, so on. That we we can be very much um, pulled along by those uh, those subtle kinds of desire without realizing it. That's why we. We can, you know, we can consider them almost as, as almost invisible a lot of the time, and so that uh, it's important to recognize when considering craving. It's not just you know craving for you know, ice cream or a cigarette or a drink, you know, or a, a, to to look at some you know, attractive person, or to you know, engage in, in something you know, sexually exciting or um, that is sort of uh, a, a form of, of sensual pleasure. But uh, often that the the addiction can be to that sense of becoming, being something, being somebody, getting somewhere, doing something, and uh, that uh, in, in meditation it's important to recognize those subtle kinds of craving, uh, because even when the the more coarse kinds of craving have fallen away, those other ones can be cheerfully carrying on, <laughs> and. Uh, dominating our, our life and, and very much uh, the causes of, of difficulty and discontent, insecurity within us. And we don't even realize that they're there. So again, th those of you who spent much time listening to Lumpur Sumato's teachings will know that a huge proportion of, of his meditation instruction and guidance in Dhamma practice is about these, these um, identifying and becoming familiar with, with bhavatana, vibhavatana, and you know, recognizing them, knowing them, and freeing the heart from the, those subtle kinds of craving as well. It is interesting also when you are looking at the uh, the story of the Buddha's enlightenment and the the unfolding of events um, before he set off on his journey to Varanasi to go and meet up with his five former companions. Uh, immediately after the enlightenment, even though he had. He'd spent all this time you know, reflecting on the, his awakening and exploring uh, and discovering the pattern of dependent origination of how how the whole um, process of of uh, the mind getting lost uh, and uh, 
getting caught up in the sense world how, how dukkha was created and how dukkha could be not created. So he'd explored that, he discovered it, he really, he really knew it inside and out. But at the end of that time, after the, it was a total of seven weeks he spent under various trees in that same area, each one sitting still for seven days at a time. So, that uh, at the end of that, he was uh, the the thought that arose in his mind is, uh, there is no point in trying to convey this understanding to anybody. That uh, and the the expression that he uses is that the whole world is is addicted to bhava, is addicted to becoming. It's uh, it's a, it's it knows only becoming. It relishes only becoming. But what it relishes uh, brings fear, and what it fears is pain. So you know all beings. So he's he, in a way he's he's uh, he, uh, he's struck by this thought that I'm in a world of addicts. I'm the only person who's not on the stuff in an entire planet filled with addicts. Yeah, and that's the 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 the, the term he uses that uh, every every being, everyone, all beings are committed to becoming. They they are addicted to becoming. They relish becoming. They only know becoming. It's like everyone's on the stuff, and the and the Buddha realizing I'm the only one who's not addicted. And the, so, if you were in, invited to to lead a a, a um, uh, a program to like a twelve-step program for seven billion people, plus all the animals, and <laughs> but yeah, the billions and billions of beings. Every single one is 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 hooked on this particular drug, and and it's your job to get everybody off. It's like, yeah, yeah. I obviously you can't really second guess the 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 process that went on in the Buddha's mind, but it's right there in the scriptures. It describes how his first reaction is. There's no point even trying. This is this is beyond. Uh, this is not doable. This is beyond uh, my capacity. That is, you know, faced with with an entire uh, um, you know, realm, or also you know the heavenly realms as well. You know, <laughs> or the day all devas and humans completely uh, addicted to the the drug of bhava. In bhava tanha, everyone is is hooked on this stuff. Every being in every realm. <sighs> So he his his thought was uh, there's no point even trying. I'll just spend my my life um, in sort of quiet, uh, sol- in solitude and in in uh, quietness, and wouldn't uh, even try to try to uh, make the effort to convey that insight to any other being because it was just too daunting a task. And so uh, uh, at that moment, as that thought formed in his mind, there's no point trying. I'll just uh, I'll just go and live in in solitude and um, abide at ease. Because, you know, as he said, it'll only be a, a vexation and a worry for me to try and teach this. Then the Brahma uh, deity Sahampati picked up that thought in the Buddha's mind, and then immediately felt, oh no, the the mind of the newly awakened Buddha is uh, is inclined towards. Uh, in action towards not not teaching, so Brahma Sambhuti immediately beamed down from the Brahma world and appeared in front of the Buddha and said, "Please, you know, for the benefit of us beings who only uh, there are some beings in the world who only have a little bit of dust in their eyes, and for the benefit of those those few who can understand, please share the insight that you have." And so, uh, as the, the the Buddha then cast his vision around the world and and uh, looked. Into the minds of of uh, uh, of um, all beings, and so yeah, that's actually that's true. There are there are some beings with with uh, coarse faculties and a lot of uh, a lot of dust in their eyes, but there are also there are some beings with only a little bit of dust in their eyes, and and yeah, it's it's true that they are capable of understanding. So then, on that um, on the initiative of the Brahma Sahampati, then the Buddha undertook to uh, to start teaching, and so then made the journey to the Varanasi to meet up with his old companions. So uh, when we have a, a formal request for Dhamma talks, which uh, if people want to do, you're welcome to do that Brahmacharoka chant that is done to formally request a Dhamma talk, that's recounting that same, that exact incident. Uh, when a Dhamma talk is requested, it's uh, recounting that, that gesture from the Brahma Sahampati saying, please, for the benefit of those with just a little bit of dust, you know, share the understanding that you have. 
So in this respect, uh, the, um, uh, the, it's important to, to, to consider, well, the Buddha thought this was impossible. <laughs> so it's no surprise, it should be no surprise that we're finding it a little bit difficult. You know, here we are being a whole day you know, at Amravati and still we're kind of wading through sludge you know, and in dealing with the, the, the chattering mind. And you know, If the fully enlightened Buddha thought you know, this is it's impossible for any other beings to really get this, to understand this, then we shouldn't be surprised that it's a little bit challenging. <laughs> now in the, the, the reflections on, on Paticca Samupada then, as I, as I was mentioning before, it's like a, a fine analysis of, uh, of uh, how the, the, you get from the second noble truth to the first noble truth, because really uh, the, the, ordering, the order that they're presented in is in a sense not quite the order that they happen in. And so that the before dukkha is a, is a experience, it's been caused. So in a way, number two, you know, the second truth, uh, the cause of dukkha comes first. So that the mind uh, going out and getting lost in its moods, get, attaching to its ob- the objects of experience, uh, that is the cause and the the uh, the result of the mind having gone out and getting lost in its moods and in, in sense impressions, uh, the result of having gone out and got entangled, got lost in that, is the experience of, of dukkha, discontent, uh, that quality of, uh, of imbalance. Um, and then the, uh, uh, the treatment, the applying the Eightfold Path, that's, which is the fourth truth, uh, then is the, the, the way to respond to that. And then the effect of applying the Eightfold Path is that dukkha comes to an end. So that's the third truth. So you can reshuffle the whole series to be two, one, four, three. <laughs> now the, uh, the so then the, the description of Paticca Samupada, this long list of, of Pali words um, the, uh, that we chanted this evening. Yeah, some of you will be familiar with these, some, some not. But they're describing how that uh, that journey from the second truth, the cause, uh, and how tanha arises, and then how that leads to dukkha. That's that's really what this is describing. So in a way, it's like the the fine anatomy of that process of how how that happens. Um, and so even before we have the tanha, the craving, it's describing how that that experience of of craving appears. And as uh, as you see, it all starts off with avijja, not seeing clearly. And um, so this the Buddha is describing in this. Well, this is how, even though there is uh, the the Dhamma is the the fundamental reality of all things, this is how it happens. That even though there is that that fundamental and um, and universal reality that is the foundation of all things, the, the mental, physical uh, world and, and, and uh, all experience, you know, this is how it happens that we're not uh, in a state of, of uh, spiritual bliss uh, uh, at all times, that uh, uh, the cause or that where it begins is avijja, not seeing clearly. So that uh, in a way, prior to the avijja, what you have is the Dhamma. That's the uh, so that that's the the precursor to to the uh, to the whole process is that you have the 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 dhamma the that reality as the the fundamental basis of all things and, and dhamma comes from the root dhur which means to to uphold or to to support so that's the that that uh, is the fundamental reality of all things but then it's through. Uh, that not seeing that clearly, that 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 reality not being not being known, not being realized, not being seen clearly, when that uh, when that when the dhamma is not uh, realized, when there is avijja, not seeing clearly, then the whole process kicks in. And uh, the uh, um, the first section, maybe just to to look at that avijja pachaya sankara. You know, what uh, that's describing is the experience when in meditation uh, your mind is quite clear and focused and then in that moment of drift, avijja pachaya sankara. So sankara means uh, that which is compounded. 
that which is separate or, or individual parts. So, avicca uh, pachaya sankara, um, you can say that uh, when the mind uh, is uh, loses its its uh, clarity of awareness, then that creates the 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 seed or the beginning of a subject object division so you can look at the sankara as being an initial sort of division into a, a knower and a known a subject and an object and um another even simpler way of of describing that lumposameda would uh, translate avijja pachaya sankara as ignorance complicates everything it's a much more less technical way of, of regarding it but uh, uh, I, I like to think of it, in, or, or the way that I, I experience it, or, or work with it, is to see that, uh, and seeing how, when when there is a clear awareness, when there is vijja, when there's clear knowing, uh, clear awareness, then that awareness is is to uh, to a great extent it's subjectless and objectless. There is a, there's an alertness to the to the present. And there isn't that sense of a division of a of a a, a me here and a and a, and a and a world out there, or a me watching uh, a thought. But there is simply hearing, feeling, smelling, tasting, touching, and, and as in the the Buddha's teaching to the wanderer Bahia, uh, and the advice he 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 gives Bahia, he said, uh, you know, Bahia, uh, in the in the scene there is only the scene, in the herd there is only the herd. In the sensed, there is only the sensed, and in the cognized, there is only the cognized. And when you recognize that, you will see that there is no, there is no person here. There is no, uh, no thing here. There is no subject who is doing the experiencing. And when you see there is no thing here, you will also recognize there is no sort of substantial sort of thing out there. There is a, uh, uh, those sense of a, a me here experiencing a world out there. That comes from uh, the habitual attachment, identification with, with the senses, and that, uh, and in the advice that he gives to Bahia, he's saying that uh, uh, if you want to to uh, to truly liberate the heart, to let go of that that subject object division, that sense of a me here and a world out there, and if you know there's uh, there there's just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, when that. The, that experience, the, those patterns of experience, are known simply as they are, in their in their raw and true reality. Then um, uh, you're right. He, uh, he, as he says in that teaching to Bahia, then you will not be able to find yourself either in the world of this, or in the world of that, or any place between the two. <laughs> and this Bahia is the end of suffering. Now that might not f- sound very helpful to you, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, in the in the process of meditation and, and uh, reflecting on experience uh, during the day and even now you know you you can you can recognize that most of the time we have this feeling of like well, I'm sitting here and I'm I'm hearing a sound out there I hear a plane coming in overhead or I I am um, I'm feeling a sensation in my leg or I hear someone next to me um, breathing. Yeah, I can hear the sound of somebody sneezing. So I am here, and that sound is out there, and that's the normal way that we we frame the world. Or, you know, I am experiencing the pain down in my knee. It, you know, I'm here, and I, I'm in this little kind of <laughs> in my little kind of um, command post in the uh, the conning tower at the. At the uh, Observing the from my little sort of observation post, my little nest, <laughs> and uh, there's this there's meanness here, and it's experiencing that sound of a of a person or a passing plane or out there. But uh, when there's a a, a clear uh, awareness, when the, that um, those habits are let go of. Then there's a recognition. Oh, there isn't really a, a me here who's experiencing a sound out there. There's actually just hearing. It's not like me here experiencing a feeling in the knee. It's like oh, there's a there's a, a a feeling of sensation. That sensation arises and passes, and the mind says, "Oh, that is in my knee. That's over there." But actually, it's experienced here in the mind. And so, the 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 more that the attention is able to 
be clarified and that where the heart breaks free of those habits of creating a subject and object, a, a me here and a, a world out there, then there is that, uh, in a way, the integration of experience. There's just hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, coming, going, changing. And and in that letting go of, of subject and object, there's a, a, a simplicity, a spaciousness, uh, and a... Um, uh, a great peacefulness. The mind is alert, it's bright, uh, it's energized, but it's completely at peace. And it's also, it's not dissociated from the world of senses. You can still you know, walk along, you can feel the body walking. Uh, you can, you're can you sitting in the hall, you're holding your body upright, or you're brushing your teeth. You know, it's not like when you, you appreciate things in this way, suddenly, you know, your, <laughs> your knees go weak or you, or you, you, you keel over. Or you suddenly disappear in a puff of smoke. No, it's just the, the body carries on, our ordinary everyday activities can, can carry on, but they're held in a different way. And, and uh, they are, uh, there's actually a quality of, of great uh, attunement with that um, letting go of the sense of, of self, and letting go of a sense of other as a, a profound attunement to the time, the place, the situation. So when we say avicca pacheya sankara, it's describing that uh, the the drift from that that quality of clear awareness, when it's not just hearing or feeling or or, or um, sensing, but oh, I'm tasting, I'm hearing, I'm I'm feeling. There's a me in here and the world out there. So that's what that's describing. Does that make sense? And so, as that process um, is uh, so described here, you have uh, sankhara conditioning uh, consciousness, uh, consciousness conditioning, uh, which is vijnana, um, consciousness conditioning nama rupa, and then nama rupa conditioning salayatana, which means the six senses, and the, and the six senses conditioning contact. That's a, a way of describing that, sort of the increase of that drift. So from Sankara being the first subtle division into subject and object, a, a kind of a, a this knowing of that, then it's a, a kind of concretizing that until um, you have the, uh, the mind absorbed into sense contact and feeling. That it's like the, uh, 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 that's a process that happens very, very quickly. That as the, the, the awareness gets blurred, you know, our mindfulness drifts, then very quickly, there's uh, there's pasa and uh, there's the six senses and contact and feeling that there's uh, you know I don't like or I do like or you know I'm in uh, I'm I'm in here experiencing the the world out there or I'm watching this thought or this memory happening. So just like Ajahn Chah used that that um, metaphor of saying it's like falling out of a tree and counting the branches on the way down. It's like boom, you know from avijja to salayatana uh, pasavedana is very quick. <laughs> uh, so it's really happening very, very fast. But also, uh, again, not to, not to get too technical, but the word pachaya, it doesn't mean um, it, it causes in terms of because of A, uh, therefore B. Uh, sometimes when you read a whole string like this, uh, of, uh, you know, you, your mind, mind imagines little arrows, you know, avijja, causes sankara, sankara causes uh, vinyana, vinyana causes namarupa. But it's not really like that. So the word pachaya literally means conditions or effects. So there's a, it's defining as it's defining how there's a relationship or a connection between those those you know those those uh, separate elements. But it's not necessarily happening in a time sequence. Some of them actually happen together at the same time. And um so that you can um, you you can misread it and thinking oh that the, all of these links between the different elements are all kind of exactly the same that A causes B B causes C C causes D but that's a, a very inaccurate and oversimplistic way but you can say that that uh, because of ignorance that uh, that contributes to a feeling of of division of the of the mind uh, drifting into a me and here. And experiencing a world out there, it conditions that beginning of the subject-object duality. 
Um, and again, with the the risk of getting too technical, there in the in the scriptures they define twenty four different kinds of conditioning. So that pachaya uh, that links these different things, you can have twenty four different varieties, and I won't go into all of them. <laughs> I'll spare you that, but just to give you a sense that it is so, it's not just a, sim, a simple like you know the same kind of connection between one and the other, and um, it's a, it can be useful to explore you know how these things work together or do they arise together or how one affects the other, but uh, I think just to convey that to you and to reflect on this whole process that to understand that it's not a simple you know this one causes uh, the you know the first one causes the second one the second one causes the 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 third one like a collection of billiard balls or snooker balls kind of bumping into each other it's not as as simple or as um say uh, uh um uniform or or uh mono that's uh, not such a kind of um uh sort of monoculture if you like, <laughs> there are many different varieties, different ways that these um, the the different elements of the whole process affect each other and, and work together. But for the purposes of uh, these teachings and this retreat, I think it's kind of most helpful just to to understand how when there is this whole beginning section of it from avicca pachaya sankara sankara pachaya vinyana what's happening is describing that um uh say the the arising of the the feeling of me as a separate agent you know me as the experiencer um uh, looking at the a world out there the the sense world um and that uh, with the uh, with that sense of a of a me a person in sort of in here kind of quote unquote Ex, uh, uh, witnessing or experiencing the sense world of, of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, and the thinking mind, you know, emotions, then that sense of, of the experiencer and the experienced, uh, a separate me and a, and a separate you know, world out there, or you know, the, or the the world of our memories and thoughts, then there's a feeling that comes from that. So there's a particular sense impression, like heat. <laughs> And uh, there's a feeling of of heat, and uh, the, you know sensation of the heat in the body, and then there might be the the vedana, the sense, of the, the the feeling tone of I don't like or or I do like, liking and disliking. So um, that uh, that whole initial part of the process uh, it leads to this sense of um, uh, I like this or I don't like this, or it can be a neutral feeling. This is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Um, but yeah, that's uh, uh, that's what it's is um, characterizing. And then, uh, as I was saying last night, then you get to the key. Uh, the key uh, link is Vedana, Pachaya, Tanha, feeling, conditions, craving. Because up to this point, um, when it, we're, we're just experiencing the world of, of the senses and the thought. Uh, there can still be quite a strong element of of uh, mindfulness. There's still a uh, a capacity to to be attending to that, and and uh, you know the the experience of seeing and hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, even the experience of thinking. There can be quite a strong quality of mindfulness that's aware of feeling, aware of seeing and hearing, aware of like and dislike without any confusion about it and so up to the this whole process up to the realm of of uh sensing and feeling it's the 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 six senses salayatana pasa and vedana the six senses and sense contact and then uh, vedana in a way it's this describing a world of innocence you can you, you the 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 quality of, of uh of attention can be quite clear the quality of mindfulness can be quite strong, and there can be um, a, a, a profound degree of, of detachment and clarity uh, around that. Even though there, the, the, uh, there is a, a subtle sense of, of me, the experiencer, and that out there being experienced, that can still be you know, 
known and understood with a great degree of of um, non-entanglement of, of clarity when the bridge is crossed to from i uh, uh, i like to i want <laughs> then that the capacity to be mindful and the capacity to to uh, to uh, um, not be um, caught up not to be entangled in that diminishes <laughs> rapidly there's the at that point the 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 you know the, the world starts to shrink because it and the attention goes to the, I I want that this is a desirable thing and I want that this is good yeah I like that or you know uh, the um, the feeling of relishing that particular object and so that's where you know the trouble really begins and so that's why in the Four Noble Truths the Buddha says tanha that's the troublemaker. You know, that thirst, that craving—that's that's where the the dukkha is. That's what, how dukkha is caused. Because up to that point, uh, it's it's a kind of a different. There's a different quality. So if you follow uh, what I mean, and also this is probably something that we've all experienced before. That even it can be a quite an intensely pleasant experience, something that's really delightful. You know, like when the fans come on. <sighs> This is really nice. <laughs> or when the fans go off and you go, hot, it's really hot. And uh, so, but there can be a, a real clarity there that, uh, yeah, this is intensely pleasant or, or really unpleasant or something, you know, like you have a, you know, a, a, a stiff leg. <laughs> And uh, you can you can be experiencing quite a lot of pain, but also uh, the mind not making a problem out of it, just saying, "Oh, this is uh, this is unpleasant." Or, yeah, uh, if I had a choice, I would definitely not have this. Like, uh, recently, I was on a pilgrimage in Tibet, uh, Mount Kailash, and uh, one of the the monks who was on the the, the pilgrimage together with me um, uh, for about two or three weeks, all the time that we were above. Uh, that was, um, fifteen, sixteen thousand feet. He had a migraine, so pretty much constantly. And uh, so uh, you'd ask him, "So how's the head today, venerable?" He said, "Pretty bad." <laughs> and that's all he'd say. You know, he, he just he didn't complain about it. So he was pretty much having a migraine headache for you know, two weeks without a break. And, uh, uh, but that was, uh, he was very impressive actually <laughs> in his uh, not complaining about it. But, uh, and saying, well, that's, a, and that's an unpleasant experience having a migraine for two weeks. But that's what, that's what uh, was, was being experienced. So that uh, 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 is the realm of, of feeling. So perception and feeling. We can be with that, and there can be a great deal of clarity. Or like the, the Buddha himself, as maybe as an even better example, uh, in the the teaching called the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, the discourse about the the, the Buddha's last days, he says, uh, and he was eighty years old at that time. He said, "My body is like an old cart, held together with strings and, and straps. It's just uh, it's like an old you know, worn down vehicle, just sort of held together." Um, like a, uh, with um, bits of wire and twine, and sort of it's through makeshift fixings. He says, uh, "Yeah, my body is in a constant state of pain. So unless I absorb my mind into the sunyata vihara, unless unless the Buddha completely dissociated his attention from the sense world, what he experienced was pain. So chronic pain." Um, and so that if he was going about his ordinary everyday activity, um, just um, being with people or teaching or, or um, walking someplace or, or eating a meal, he was in constant pain the whole time. And the only way that he could not experience pain was to completely dissociate his attention from the sense world. But also he knew how not to complain about it <laughs> or to create suffering out of that. It was just, oh, this is a really unpleasant feeling. And in, this, in that sutta, it's a very matter-of-fact comment that he makes is oh you know by the way <laughs> that uh, this is what it's like to be 80 years old and to have lived as a as a wanderer uh, all this time is that uh, you end up with 
chronic uh, chronic pain so then the the bridge that is crossed and why the tanha is the troublemaker is like that in the mind it says well i don't want it to be this way or can we <laughs> i want to negotiate <laughs> i don't like this it shouldn't be this way this isn't fair why me i'm a fully enlightened being <laughs> you know i shouldn't have back pain you know, the buddha does not think that way <laughs> So that uh, that is where the the the, uh, the dukkha, the suffering, really begins. Is that that sense of it shouldn't be this way? This isn't fair. This is great. I want to keep it. How can I hang on to this? This is wonderful. This is marvelous. This is mine. I want to keep this, and uh, no one's going to take it away from me. Right there, there is the the heart is is uh, is thrown into a. A, a state of disharmony and discord that's where the trouble really begins so that's why in the four noble truths the buddha pinpoints the tanha the quality of tanha that craving as the the uh, sort of the linchpin of of suffering maybe that's actually a good uh, a good word to use a linchpin because the word uh, uh, again with the, with the uh, caution of getting too technical just a little etymological sidetrack here the word dukkha uh, comes from uh, two parts uh, and so the word do the, the the syllable do means wrong or or imbalanced or um, imperfect uh, and the the ka the the comes from the pali word akka which our english word axle is related to so the akka is the hole in the middle of the wheel that the, the axle goes through so du akka dukkha comes from which means like the the wheel is out of kilter the the the, uh, the the wheel is not set squarely on the axle so that the the wheel is wobbling so we've all had this experience at the airport with the the cart with the with the the wobbling wheel or down at the supermarket you know we always and we might feel why do i always get that cart <laughs> with the wonky wheel you know? that's dukkha that's the kind of perfect characterization of, of the dukkha experience the 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 trolley with the wobbly wheel so the that linchpin <laughs> is uh, is holding the wheel you know, out of place that that uh, when there is as craving that's what set things sets things off balance that's what um brings us uh, into a state of disharmony with with the reality so when there is that craving um separation from the loved association with the unloved not getting what we want these are the different kinds of craving the craving to um to become the craving to get rid of these are all um when the when we buy into that when we say i want to keep this this is really great oh more just one more just one then at that moment we've believed the promise uh, that uh, that the advert is telling us, or the the um, the the desire mind, that habit is is uh, we're believing that that if I have just one more, <laughs> then I will be happy. If I if I if I just uh, you know if I just need a little bit more, <laughs> just one more, and then I'll be happy. That, and uh, we believe that at that moment that we're feeling we're incomplete. But if we get just have one more smoke or one more drink or yeah, uh, just one more picture to look at, uh, one more object to get, you know, one more, uh, then uh, we are going to be happy. And at that moment, the universe has shrunk to saying, "Well, just just, just one more drink, <laughs> just one more one more picture, you know, one more slice of cake, you know, one more one more prize, one more Nobel Prize." <laughs> Then I'll really know that I've made it. You know. It's one more Oscar, you know. yeah. one more profound meditation experience. Just one more, and and, and uh, I, I use that as the the title for this retreat because I was also remembering an account of a, a newspaper reporter speaking to John D. Rockefeller, who was at the time he was the richest person in the world now his fortune wouldn't even make a dent <laughs> yeah he was worth a few tens of millions at the time but that's that's pretty common these days 
But at the time, he was the richest person in the world, and the reporter um, asked him this question. He said, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, um, you, you're, you're the richest person in the world. You have uh, extraordinary you know, power and influence and wealth, and you know, you're now worth you know, $80 million or $180 million. Um, Yeah, and <clears throat> so can I ask you the question? Yeah, how much money is enough? And I think they were on a, he was on a golf course at the time. He sort of put his club down and thought for a moment and said, "Just a little bit more." <laughs> how much? How much money is enough? And uh, so part of him actually recognized the condition. Part of of uh, John D. Rockefeller. Part of him recognized. That this is an addiction. <laughs> that, uh, that he saw how his mind worked, and also how it was never enough. That that little bit more was never enough because, as as we all know, whether our uh, uh, our drug of choice is um, something you know, coarse uh, like uh, uh, addiction to to alcohol or tobacco or sugar or or whether it's something uh, that is more subtle, you know, addiction to social approval or social status, or uh, you know, addiction to um, being uh, receiving gestures of, of affection or approval, uh, or addiction to meditation retreats, yeah, can happen. You know, I, I met one a person many years ago who very proudly uh, announced that he'd been on ninety-five Goenka retreats, and he was kind of keeping a scorecard. It seemed like he was keeping a scorecard, you know. Like, you know Ninety-five, you know, not, notches on his on his zafu. You know. <laughs> that it was a kind of an achievement process. So whether the object of, of desire is is coarse or or uh, subtle or is, or is wholesome or, or or unwholesome, it works in exactly the same way. It's always just just a little bit more, just just one more, just another. Or, and sometimes we don't even recognize it as being something that's that we we need to persuade ourselves about. <laughs> but we are, are pulled by that uh, that promise, and some and, and uh, we are say convinced by that that uh, we will be satisfied, we will be happy if we just just have this. And uh, as the, the the process continues, once we cross that that bridge, uh, in a, or in a way, it's it's almost like another maybe another image that's better is is getting on the train. So up until when you've got the uh, avijja pachaya sankara sankara pachaya vinyana, the from from that avijja up to uh, the six senses and contact and feeling, that's like arriving at the station and um, and getting onto the train, so up to the 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 train isn't moving yet, <laughs> but you've come to the station and, and there's the train and you've climbed on the train. So when we're up to the realm of feeling, like yeah, this is really delicious, or yeah, this is a this is really nice being uh, uh, getting the meditation experience that you want, or getting praised, or, or um, getting the the hit from the the uh, in, enticing image that you're you're looking at, or the the, the sound that you're hearing. That uh, yes, it's intensely pleasant, or you like it. It's like getting on the train, and then tanha is the train starts to move, <laughs> like the the train is moving. So once the 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 change has gone from I like to I want, then the train is underway, and as we know, you know trains tend to pick up speed fairly rapidly. So then tanha, the craving conditions, clinging, clinging conditions, becoming, becoming conditions, birth. So that you can imagine this or envisage this as the train steadily increasing speed. So once the train has just started to move, you can you can you can get off without causing yourself too much harm. You can hop off the the, the train while it's still in the station. So you can recognize oh that a craving is arising like oh I want or I can't stand and. We can recognize the movement or like, uh, as that sort of gets underway, and you go, "Oh, I know this. <laughs> this is that just one more feeling." Okay, get off at this point. <laughs> I better get off this train because uh, I know where this goes. So we can do that, and without too much difficulty. But once it's moved into 
the 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 craving is conditioned clinging and the, the mind is is committing itself to yes i do want it yes i am going to pursue that then the train is picking up speed so it's going to be a pretty uncomfortable if you hop off at this point by the time you've got to becoming then you, you're pretty much out of the station and it's going to be really <laughs> a nasty tumble if you land um, once the becoming has, has changed to birth it's like that's the point of no return and you know the buddha chooses that that symbolism of birth that like, well, once the once the the baby has arrived you know there's no turning back you know there's uh, birth has happened there's a there's a a point of no return and so then the 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 um, situation has to be followed and lived through to its completion so after birth has happened it's like you the the um the the thrill has already passed and then there's the the implications of having followed that or that oh i said i wasn't going to do this again or how could i have how could i have done that or, or you know i got lost again uh, uh, why why did i do that all over again and you're having them to live through it's like with birth you have to you know to look after the child and uh, uh, fulfill all the obligations and and uh, the the care that's uh, necessary in looking after the child birth has happened you already it's already arrived so similarly when we've uh, we've followed that impulse to get rid of something that we dislike or chase after something that we do like then um we have to live through the all of the the results they'll be you know pleasant uh uh, but also um, burdensome that uh, we we are uh, say living that th- living through the the uh, the <coughs> effects of having followed that that impulse so that at that moment the thrill is no longer filling the universe <laughs> so up to that up to the point of birth and that the mind is sort of narrowing and narrowing to the to the becoming as i was saying last night that this the 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 chief moment of thrill is just before you get you you're guaranteed to get what you want but you haven't quite got it yet like pooh bear and the honey you know you know you're going to get it but it hasn't quite arrived yet that is the the moment of the maximum thrill the universe has narrowed to that spot once we've already got it then the universe starts to get bigger again and we we realize oh here comes the bill <laughs> and the, oh, here's the uh, all the other things that that count that come with it oh yeah right <laughs> there's uh there's the rest of it um so it's uh in a, in a sense a, a, a rude awakening at that point and that's uh that experience of, of disappointment and, and it's kind of interesting that even biochemically that's how it how it works is that the 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 um at least as i understand it that what they call uh, what is called dopamine is a, a particular kind of chemical that um is uh, has a strong effect on the pleasure centers of the brain and it's at this point where the the anticipation uh, of a reward of gratification is is uh, as at its peak and the, the dopamine flush is at its maximum and uh, that that's what we in a, in a sense when it comes to sense pleasure that's what we're addicted to is dopamine that yes the dopamine flush and whether it's because you just you just won an oscar or because you just had a cigarette or because you you got a you know a new set of pictures to look at or a, you know, a, a new chocolate cake shop you know it's the same it's just, it's the dopamine hitting the lateral tegmentum i think this bit of the brain that it lands on and that's a whoomph, the woomph yes feeling but it can only it can only last for a certain amount of time and then it the brain habituates and then it becomes disappointing so the more that we're able to to uh to to see how that works the more we're able to recognize how that once the the um, the mind has followed that that impulse it gets harder and harder to let go until the the point of jati of birth you know there's, there's no turning back so then that encourages us to pay very close attention to the to getting on the train and why and uh, i've been pointing to uh, today the the usefulness and the the, the um uh, the power of paying attention to feeling and noticing how feeling 
transforms into to craving, how I like turns into I want, or I don't like turns into I don't want, I can't stand. Because the more clearly and completely we can we can discern that, then the easier it is not to get on the train. <laughs> if you don't get on the train, then it's it's much easier not to have to to jump off later on. And so that uh, that uh, is pointed to by the Buddha in the Four Noble Truths. You know, this is the cause of dukkha, is this cravings, because once we uh, that's the point where we get on the train. That's the point where there's that commitment of yes, yeah, having this experience, um, this will make me happy. This is uh, this is the the thing that uh, is is good, and uh, it's uh, in that bringing attention to that realm of feeling, really developing a, a, a consistent and comprehensive mindfulness around feeling, then we are training ourselves to not believe those promises, to not believe that yes, because. Uh, this is a pleasant feeling, therefore more of it will be better. <laughs> or if, if, this is, if this is followed, then I will be happy. It's the, the more we bring mindfulness to the realm of feeling, the more that the, the, there is the capacity to know this is a, this is a pleasant feeling. <laughs> the, here is the sound of a promise that, that, uh, that if I have more of this or I have some of this, then I will be happy. And to be able to recognize that's the sound of a promise. <laughs> Like a, like an advert you see in a magazine. That's that's a promise. That's something that's appealing, and the 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 power that we have to to choose at that point to not follow it. You don't have to hate the train. <laughs> you don't have to throw rocks at it. Uh, you don't have to fear it. You recognize this. Uh, we have the power, the capacity to know that it's there and to not climb on board. And that's a freedom, a, a power that we have. And that the more that we are able to to bring attention to to feeling the feeling of liking the feeling of disliking, and to know it simply as that, to to see that you know like and dislike are really a, of a, uh, they're just natural uh, mental uh, processes, mental formations, and uh, we are uh, we're able to to develop a, an attention to that, a clarity around that. Then we uh, uh, we find a, a freedom in our lives that is never present if we uh, 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 have uh, habituated ourselves to if something is is pleasant we chase after it or if is unpleasant we we push it away that uh, we're learning to respond and to relate to the realm of feeling with a different attitude we're changing the attitude to the feelings the experience of liking and disliking. And then in that change of attitude, that is the, the place where we find a, a tremendous freedom and a, and a quality of peacefulness. The heart is no longer compelled. It's no longer just reacting. But we're able to respond to life. And so if, if something is useful to pick up and follow and appropriate, then we can do that. If something is yeah, we recognize as being you know, harmful or obstructive, we can leave it alone. 